Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the See Me podcast. This series we're looking at the journey of our social movement. So all the amazing things that our volunteers and our partners have been doing to tackle mental health stigma and discrimination across Scotland. Each week we're featuring an interview with one of our volunteers or partners to hear exactly what they've been doing. This week, a really exciting one, we've got Linda Finlay, who is on our advisory board and is also the Associate Medical Director in South Lanarkshire. So, huge amount of experience in mental health, uh, particularly in Lanarkshire, and also has been with CME for a long time, really passionate in the cause of tackling stigma and discrimination. Um, and for this episode, we are joined as always by Dee. Hi. Hello. Hello, Dee, who just Hello. before we started recording was calling me a sea witch. Um, so that was nice. I f- no, I, no, come on. I feel like we need to give that some context. Anyway, no, that's another that's another day. Anyway. <laughs> um, and- right. So. <laughs> no, we called Nick a sea witch because we were talking about <laughs> recording and voices and then he said he was going to take our voices and I said, like, the Little Mermaid, hence he's a sea witch. And who is the we in We're Calling Nick a Sea Witch? We are also joined today by Tom Scott, <laughs> our health, social care uh, improvement advisor. So, hi, Tom. Hi, Nick. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I should apologise for calling you a sea witch. I don't really want to, but I will, because I'm a professional. Well, thank you for the apology, Tom. It's nice to hear an apology for calling me a sea witch <laughs> from one of you. Um, nope. <laughs> so, yeah, as I said, uh, this week's episode, we are looking um, at health and social care and the work that is being done there to tackle stigma and discrimination, some of the, the difficulties that people face when trying to get help and support, some of the difficulties and things that people working in healthcare are trying to work through as well. A uh, in, really interesting, insightful interview coming up from Linda later. Um, and yeah, as I said at the, at the beginning, this is all around the, the journey of the social movement, telling the stories of what people have been doing. We've got a report that we've brought out on that as well, which is, you can find that at report.seemescotland.org. It's kind of the telling some amazing stories of people who have worked with us. You can read their stories, see some pictures. There's also some, you can hear them speaking as well, some audio quotes from them too. So make sure to check that out. Um, And yeah, one of the people we interviewed for this was Linda, who we wanted to talk to because she, as well as being sort of senior in healthcare in in Lanarkshire, which is an area we do a lot of, traditionally done a lot of work in and still do today, she's also on our advisory board at CME and has been quite influential in helping to shape CME and both based on her own lived experience, um, which she talks about in her interview, uh, but also from her professional point of view as well. So a really good insight. Um, and she speaks as well about how and why she got involved with CME and some kind of awareness raising activities. She did some running and stuff before becoming a member of CME's advisory board. But it was quite an interesting point as to kind of people working in health and social care they they're kind of helping and supporting people struggling with their mental health on a daily basis and so many people say they get amazing help and support and that's what helps them get on the road to recovery others unfortunately we know don't have quite such positive experiences but 
there is a lot of people working in health and social care who we work with particularly who are really passionate about tackling stigma and discrimination and Tom we've done a lot of work recently in some videos and creating some training resources for health and social care is there anything particularly that we've seen from that or that you've seen in general that makes people working in health and social care what makes them want to tackle stigma and discrimination to kind of improve things within that sector it doesn't seem to matter uh, what part of the system you go to I mean in the last year we've worked with staff who are paramedics who are general practitioners, pharmacists, uh, osteopaths, uh, people who are clinical admin. It doesn't seem to matter what role or what setting you work in. The people who uh, are attracted to the roles in the NHS all seem to have this common thread of wanting to do their absolute best for people uh, every single day that they work. And so... And yet you're right, we know that some people have uh, very challenging, uh, very poor experiences. Um, mo I would say most have great experiences, but there are, there are um, bad stories that come out. And so we need to look at why that happens. And if it's a training issue, if it's a personal issue, if it's a systemic issue, but... Everyone who comes along to us and wants to improve things, uh, wants to make a difference, they're doing it out of compassionate, person-centred care. And actually, that's the answer uh, a lot of the time. Whether we're talking about listening to people, whether we're talking about asking what matters to them, uh, or if we're talking about making use of the the systematic processes that are already in place, like making best use of clinical notes or talking to fellow professionals who have worked with a patient, having the time uh, to do all these things, the answers are there. And the people uh, who we work with desperately want to get this right. Yeah, time's one of those ones that comes up again and again when speaking to people who work in health and social care that quite often they would like to have more time to spend with patients to to help people who are struggling um, but the demands that are on them sometimes mean that they just physically don't have that time to do it and that that would make such a huge difference for them and for the people that they're working with as well also really interesting you said as well there about the amount of different people that that we've worked with within health and social care who want to make a difference, who want to help, and who have found that they can help, even if it's not traditionally their role. I remember chatting to one of our volunteers before who was saying that um, maybe some of the help and support that they had got in mental health services, actually, ha they had not found to be amazing for them. But a physio had really helped them, had been the one that had noticed that something wasn't quite right when... I can't remember exactly she was seeing the physio for. It doesn't really matter, but the fact is it wasn't necessarily that physio's job role or thing that she wasn't there to help a volunteer in that case with their mental health but noticed that there wasn't something that there's something that maybe wasn't quite right that she was struggling and asked her about that and opened up a conversation and that was something that then really helped her to then go and get the help and support she needed which she then did get when going into other areas of healthcare and back into mental health services and really helped her on her road to recovery to shows the such an important role that everyone 
work in in health and social care has anyone can make a difference anyone can be that person that just listens someone notices something and asks them and kind of sets someone on on a road and we hear lots of that with so many different stories of our of our volunteers and people coming to us as well we've got kind of the the care opinion widget on our website as well and the healthcare part of our website which is seemescotland.org and you can click on healthcare and see and it's got loads of stories of people good and bad and their interactions for trying to get help and support for their mental health do you like do you see any kind of common themes or anything in in stories that people come to us and want to share about health and social care and what's kind of helped them and also what's been quite difficult for people as well yeah I think that the main thing that we see quite a lot is that people will go to their healthcare provider whether that is a GP or you know who mental health services and they'll say that they're struggling and they're maybe not met with the kind of compassion that they need at the time or as we said it's a time issue um, and they feel that they're not given enough time to kind of explore um, what that might look like for them or they find responses quite stigmatizing and then they're worried to open up again um, so they tend to you know that that creates more self-stigma you know okay well I'm, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because I'm not necessarily getting help and then on the other side of that we we see amazing stories of, of people saying well my my GP was fantastic you know they asked me what I needed they were compassionate they made me feel that you know my what I was going through was valid and that I deserved help and 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 then also on the other side of that as well um people saying like we we just heard there with the, the person that, that went to the physio that it maybe was somebody that they, they weren't expecting it was a dentist or it was, you know, it was somebody who wasn't maybe necessarily um, linked to specific mental health services. Um, but we know, you know, that physical and mental health um, are linked. So there's always that space for, for discussion as well. And it does change people's lives, you know, if they're able to go to you know their GP or health and social care provider and say I need help I'm struggling and being met with kindness I think that's so so important um is just having you know your feelings and and your struggle and what you're going through validated and not feeling like you're on your own um you know, we, we've got a, a really powerful example of one of our volunteers, Gemma, who said, you know, when she first went to her GP when she was struggling with depression and her mental health, um, you know, it took her a lot of courage to, to do that. And, you know, she, she had been struggling with that for a while and the self-stigma had kind of prevented her from doing that. And when she opened up and said to her GP, you know, I think I'm depressed, I'm struggling, the GP turned around and said, oh, well, you've got clean hair and clothes, so it can't be that bad. And for someone who's, you know, in a place where you know they're really really struggling to hear that must be totally you know soul destroying and that okay well this is it for me you know like where you know where do I go from here so it can really really impact people massively yeah it can do and I guess it comes back as to with with good or or bad reactions quite after what you said at the beginning there Tom about people having compassion and wanting to make that difference and that so many people do and so many right across the whole spectrum see with with Linda and some of the people we work with we've worked previously with trying to work with healthcare leaders and that and does this does making real change to a whole system the whole culture of a system to allow staff to have even if it's more time or just to teach people about what signs to look out for in all situations and, and kind of 
can't think of the word, but sort of having making sure that everyone's like continue your mind of like how important compassion is and the difference that they can make to any one person's life at any one time. What how important is our role then working with kind of senior healthcare staff in ensuring that those cultures can filter down and that people feel able to to give that compassionate caring response that they maybe don't always feel that they can because they're constrained. It's absolutely critical uh, to shifting something which can seem as intractable and, and as intangible as stigma and discrimination, something that a lot of people just think <clears throat> is almost like a natural state, like this is just how things are and ever they shall be. It's not. We will get to a point where there'll be no need for, for us. There'll be no need for see me because... Um, Stigma and discrimination will not be a thing anymore. It won't be accepted. But if we are going to get there, uh, we need the the senior leaders in the NHS um, to be at the front of that. And th this is something I picked up from my previous role in CME, which was as a workplace equality consultant. You really do have the fanciest titles in CME. I know you're in the middle of like a really serious and important point, but you do have the best titles. And he just used the word intractable and intangible, which, which is probably the smartest thing we've had yet. You've really impressed this old sea witch. <laughs> I hope this isn't live. Um. But you don't understand podcasts, oh. so there we go. The balance is right back. <laughs> Great use of language. Doesn't understand how a podcast works. No, not at all. <laughs> Are we recording? Is that what you mean? <laughs> we have been for weeks, Steve. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> sorry, Tom. I'm I sorry. kind of ruined you mid-flow about did. the importance of senior healthcare staff. And, That's it. Now, what was And in your, pre your previous oh, yeah. role. Uh, people working in a complex system uh, or a big organisation, a lot of the time when we're talking about changing culture and changing behavior and making improvements, it's not that they do what they're told to do. People will do what they see their managers or what they see the, the senior leadership doing. They'll see the, the motivations and the, the values behind the behaviors, the day-to-day -day behaviors of the leaders. Uh, and that's where they'll take their cues from. So <clears throat> if we are going to make a difference to this, what we need from the, the senior leaders is the right messaging, uh, the, the right behaviours in their own work processes, uh, and certainly the valuing this enough to create the time and space for us to get it right. And we know it makes... A huge difference and and the thing is the NHS knows this as well there's a <clears throat> an improvement process a system a set of values called the health promoting health service which is the idea that every interaction with the system is an opportunity for healthcare improvement whether that's physical health or mental health and what that translates to is something as simple as seemingly simple as a compassionate response, uh, as we've been talking about. So when someone is brave enough to put their hand up, to seek help, to say, I am struggling, 
this is my experience, can you please help me with this? That it's met with compassion and kindness, openness, validation. Uh, that the person gets uh, a warm human response. And we know that that affects uh, people's help-seeking behaviours in the future. If someone with a mental health issue is, uh, as Dee was saying, um, treated casually, it's not likely that they'll seek help again for a long time, uh, which makes things difficult. But also, that health-promoting health service concept is designed to tackle uh, a very difficult problem called diagnostic overshadowing, which is basically meaning if you have a very serious physical health issue, a lot of the time your mental health issues can slip under the radar and go undiagnosed. And the same is true of the reverse. So if you are someone with uh, bipolar or very serious depression or schizophrenia or something like that, a lot of the time you're very serious and very complex physical health issues can be missed. And it's that kind of thing that leads to the high mortality rate among people with lived experience of mental health. So concepts and things like the Health Promoting Health Service, they can be about very small, very simple things. Human interaction, compassion, kindness, they can also literally be about saving people's lives. Yeah, and it can't. We know that with not everyone, but you, there's a stat that people who experience ongoing enduring mental health problems can die 15 to 20 years younger than the general population for a variety of reasons. But that one of diagnostic overshadowing that you've mentioned there, with the, and the description of what that is, is is a big one of those. And I know in the the healthcare health and social care training videos that we've been working on recently which we'll be uh, releasing soon they um, possibly when you're listening to this they they will have been released by then if you check out our website there'll be information there um, on on those videos in the healthcare health, health and social care section if they're not there already they will be going up very soon but I remember there was a a GP on there who, who mentioned an example where a patient they'd had um, who had sort of ongoing mental health problems, also um, had reported that they thought they had cancer on a few occasions. And then it was followed up sometimes, but not every time. And then that person died of cancer in the end. And it's such a tragic story, but it shows the kind of the real complexity of how the getting the balance of that, really listening to people, really taking them seriously and treating each individual time they come in as important as the last is is really important to make sure that people do always get the right help and support that they need um and i guess for with with senior healthcare staff like you said tom with comes similar to other workplaces if if at the top people are saying this is important uh, and it's important for you to consider it then it for some it might be an instruction to make sure you do consider this but for lots and lots of people especially in healthcare where there's so many caring compassionate people who go into that because they're caring compassionate that can then give them almost the feeling of validation okay I can give people the help and care that I want to give them because it's coming from the top because they're saying that we can do this and it's really important I I think in in our in our role at CME and working with health and social care as well that we make sure that we work together not in a critical sense like there is a time where you can be critical as like a critical friend 
but in a, if it's constructive and working with them rather than just kind of mudslinging and, and highlighting what's wrong. And undoubtedly there is loads of stuff that is wrong and loads of stuff that could be better and it's important to highlight that and make sure that people know it, but to do that in a kind of way that we're working constructively with people, which is why I think it's really important that someone like Linda is also on our advisory board. So that kind of dialogue goes two ways, that they can also influence us to make sure that we're set up in the right way that can help them to improve and to improve us as well and I'm not sure like do with yourself how important you think it is where anywhere that you're trying to make improvements Mm. that you're trying to help things but in this case particularly in healthcare that you are able to have a two-way dialogue and with the comms and stuff that we do as well the we've done with around covid um sort of when the early outset of that came on and started developing we did lots of work with the ambulance service in working on messaging with them and working together to ensure that both staff and people using the ambulance service felt reassured and how important do you think that is that we're working closely with health and social care to make sure that we get the messaging just right for everyone and that what what can that do if we do get that right working together I think you you made a really, really important point there on on working together in terms of messaging, not just for for patients, but for staff as well, because, you know, we kind of know that time is something that that people talk about um, quite often and with, you know, so much going on in in health and social care, whether that be ambulance service or GPs, um, I think as well, it's really important that that staff feel able to talk about their own mental health and that they understand it and that stigma is something that's tackled not just, you know, with responses to patients, um, but also for staff as as well, because, you know, their mental health is just as important as the people that they're looking after. And if they're struggling and they're not able to to have those conversations and tackle stigma, then that's going to have a knock-on effect on, you know, the people that they're treating as well. And everybody needs to feel able to talk about how they're feeling. But, you know, we're not health and social care providers ourselves, so we don't know what those experiences are necessarily like um, for people that are working in the field. So it's really, really important for us to kind of work closely um, in partnership with with senior uh, healthcare leaders and also, you know, staff on the ground and kind of say you know well how's your mental health like what is this experience like for you what barriers do you encounter day to day you know how does that impact how you're feeling and 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 on the people that you're treating um as well and it's so important that we you know that we're able to say or encourage organizations to speak out you know with you know providers to speak out with their own employees and their own staff as well so that we're not just tackling stigma and between providers and patients but also within workplaces and and giving people the the ability to to speak out and say actually I'm struggling because I've worked a 16 hour day or you know because that impacts on on the service that we're providing as well so it's key it's it's totally fundamental to you know everything yeah such a good point as well around staff's own mental health and the mental health of people working in the healthcare service and something that with with COVID-19 and everything that went on around that that became much more at the forefront of people's thinking was the welfare of healthcare staff and I'm not sure if that always something that was as considered and also a, a problem, an issue with, within healthcare as well that people feeling who work in it feeling able to say well actually I've struggled with mental health myself or I've got a mental health problem I've been diagnosed with a mental health condition and actually been able to say that within healthcare um, and really thinking about one of the, the original ideas of of, uh, of Walk a Mile, which 
is an activity which we've been doing for a while, which basically the, the core of it, the, where it started, was with uh, a guy, Chris McCulloch-Young, who we worked with for a long time. And he started it off because he went all around the edge of Scotland with no money and, or anything, um, just a tent, um, and relying on the goodwill of people that he spoke to, having conversations about his own mental health and relying on people's kindness and hospitality to help him along the way, maybe give him some food, buy him a meal, a place to pitch his tent, whatever it might be. And he made it all the way around the edge of Scotland and down um, into North Wales off the back of just speaking about mental health and sharing his story. We then worked with him to make that into events that anyone can run and still can walk a mile events. There's information on the website about it. But the original idea of that was a real health and social care focused thing and it was to break down any barriers or takeaway labels that might be labels of a diagnosis or labels of a job role within health and social care to show that everyone is a person everyone can have their own struggles their own difficulties it doesn't matter if you are uh, someone accessing services or you're someone working in services anyone can struggle with their mental health and having a, a mile to walk together and talk and have a conversation without barriers without labels was a really important thing um, and it's something that we've kind of continued to do and to, and to work with and in the healthcare videos done recently some of the healthcare staff there when we were chatting to them in the filming were talking about their own mental health and, and the impact it's had on them as well and Tom, working in this area do you think that people, including us and, and others working in health and social care and accessing health and social care do you think we think enough of the health and the well-being and the mental health of those people working in in health and social care? I think one of the strengths uh, of the, the healthcare videos that you mention is that we have people working right now in the health and social care system giving their professional perspective on what mental health inclusion looks like, on what compassionate, kind, human interaction uh, between a professional and a patient looks like. Um, one and and that's a development i think quite rightly everything that we do at cme starts with the perspective of people with lived experience of mental health problems um <clears throat> but if we are going to achieve proper knowledge exchange uh, and a, a, an exchange of perspective and dialogue then we need both the lived experience and the professional experience perspective but you're right on top of that, there is also the consideration of the health and well-being uh, of the people who are delivering the care. Um, and perhaps that hasn't been uh, taken into account as much as it, as it could have been. It's, it's a really, I think you're right as well in saying that particularly in healthcare this may be an issue because... I mean, in any job, disclosure is a very complicated thing. It can lead to a lot of positives. It can lead to you sort of leading a more full and complete and honest life. And it can lead to very practical things like reasonable adjustments being made in your role. It can also lead to stigma and discrimination, as we know. If you disclose something in healthcare, I guess potentially there is the risk that maybe you'll be thought of as someone who isn't able to do their 
caring role, certainly not as well as you did previously, which is, of course, wrong. Um, and also, I know from having spoken to people who work in things like Distress Brief Intervention and the Scottish Ambulance Service and various uh, NHS health boards and also care homes as well, that these are people who care very deeply about their job and about the people that they work with and they want to prioritise their patients' health. They want to prioritise the people that they are working for and going into their jobs every single day. Their own health and well-being, a lot of the time, comes in a distant second place. Uh, and that's a problem. Because if we're going to get to the end of the journey, then the car needs to keep running. So healthcare workers, even in a time of a pandemic like we are now, have to be thinking about their own mental health. And coming back to the, the leader's point, if they are going to feel a license and feel permission to be able to do that, then the messaging has to be coming from leaders and managers to say, yes, we are, we are in a crisis situation, but take care of yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's now a good time to hear from one of those leaders. I was going to say Linda's, which she is. Um, hear from one of those leaders, Linda. Um, so, yes, we have the interview, <laughs> the interview now coming up with, uh, with Linda Finley. Um, really interesting one here. How did you first become involved in CME? Um, so I became involved in CME uh, through the Royal College of Psychiatrists and they were looking for someone to sit on the advisory board. Um, and it just seemed like a really good uh, initiative programme to become involved with. I was also involved with See Me uh, through my daughter. We did some fundraising, um, ran and walked a thousand miles one year uh, to raise funds for See Me as well. Wow, where did you run and walk? I'm just going to check um, so, just, so I ran in Glasgow and she ran in Edinburgh because uh, we were in two different places at, at that time. I and we just had people sponsor us and the, the money went in to, to see me. It's amazing. Did yeah. it raise quite a lot of awareness as to what was going on when about was it? I think so. So this would be, oh my goodness, eight, nine years ago now. My daughter had had a significant uh, depressive illness and found the stigma that she had um, endured through that worse than the illness itself. Um, so it allowed us to raise awareness um, with family and with friends, I, and when we were out with t-shirts on running uh, and walking, people would stop us, so, so it was a good thing to do. That's an amazing yeah. effort, and so was that before you joined? Um, it, it probably was, just a bit before, yeah. yeah. And did, I suppose the experiences that you'd had there and your daughter had, did that give you some of the kind of, I guess, drive or passion to then get involved with CME and alongside your kind of professional capacity, kind of dual things to make to want to change and tackle stigma and discrimination? So I suppose I've always been interested in stigma and discrimination. Being a psychiatrist, you, you see the impact or you think you see the impact uh, that it has on your patients, but until you've actually walked that walk with someone, um, you really don't appreciate the, the full emotional impact that it has on, on folk. So the operator is almost like a stars, stars aligning. Uh, the opportunity came up uh, to join the board and it just seemed like a perfect thing to do. And do you think from that then, now you've kind of, you've seen various ways the impact of stigma discrimination and do you then take that knowledge and 
try and apply it to tackling stigma discrimination in, in other areas as well across your work, not just in your role as a senior advisory board member? Yeah, it's, it's nice, nice and not nice. It, it's um, a privilege, I suppose, to be able to talk not only as a professional but also as somebody who's been a carer um, and has that very um, real knowledge of, of what stigma and discrimination does. You know, as psychiatrists, we're often stigmatised against by the rest of the medical profession. That is nothing compared to the impact of stigma and discrimination on somebody who has lived experience of mental illness. So what, um, is there anything particular in your period at the advisory board that you've felt quite heavily involved in advising CME and you've seen the impact it's had on the programme? Yeah, so some, some of the things were making links with government. I was obviously being within the Royal College and having been in psychiatry a long time, then I have connections and networks that probably wouldn't otherwise have been open to see me. Um, I did quite a lot of work with Callum round about realistic medicine and how CME could be included with, within that to help make the links with the Distress Brief Intervention uh, programme. So I suppose what I've been trying to do is so stigma and discrimination is almost a golden thread through all of the work that, that we're doing and CME's been pivotal to then taking those opportunities and, and running with it. So I guess I'm a, a connector maybe more than, than anything else. I don't do the doing but um, try, and, try and make the connections and make sure that CME is as impactful as I can help it to be. Yeah, obviously you've had a big role there through that Yeah, impact, as you said, impact in CME, impact in the programme, the way that that's kind of some of our focuses and how we go. Have you then been able to take anything from see me and then take that back the other way into your work and in Lanarkshire? Yeah, especially in, in Lanarkshire, obviously we've got stigma-free Lanarkshire and, and are collaborating really very closely uh, with see me on that to tackle stigma and discrimination, especially within health and social care. Um, we've had some really excellent events um, within Hare Myers Hospital, uh, which is one of our, our local district general hospitals, um, and also in Wishaw. So you can see things beginning to shift, but I would say just beginning to shift. That's a whole lot better than we were maybe five, five, ten years ago, um, I think. And I think a lot of that's got to do with people with lived experience, um, with the help of CME and other organisations saying, actually, the way you're treating me is not okay. I need to be included. It impacts on myself, it impacts on my health, um, it impacts on everything I do if you continue to discriminate against me. And I think that's been very powerful. I think um, one of the, the best bits about CME is the number of organisations and people that it brings together. Um, you think you've got people with lived experience, you've got carers uh, and user groups involved and you've also got the professional voice there as well and I think it doesn't get much more powerful than that when you bring everyone together. An important way to tackle some integration is to have people together feeling like they're part of something. I think absolutely and I think um, inviting people to include so the inclusion agenda uh, is a much more powerful thing to do um, I think if you accuse somebody of um, discriminating against you, and, and that does happen, so there's no reason we shouldn't, um, that is more likely to polarise. Whereas if you invite people to become of the inclusion conversation, that is more likely to bring people along, along with you. Um, it's a really exciting time to be in mental health because I do think we are on the cusp of really getting it right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And well, with the inclusion agenda, for anyone like if we do include stuff from watching it, can you explain what the inclusion agenda is and the impact that's hoping to? 
Yeah, so so I suppose for me um, it's about saying to people, you know, by the things you're doing, by the, the attitudes that you have, by the words that you say, you are excluding people and you're excluding people from getting, in my case, effective health and social care. And that is not okay. How can we make it easier for you to include people in that? Um, and, and using that methodology, I suppose, or, or that ethos, um, I think we've probably brought more people along with us because it allows them to more safely reflect on how they, they have and are treating people. Yeah, so it's really about involving people and having a say in yeah. things that are going to impact their health, really. Absolutely. Absolutely so. Um, and if you take the premise that there is no health without good mental health, um, then it's really important that everybody's on board um, and doesn't stigmatise very often unwittingly. But when you call it out um, in a kind of measured way, folk then begin to reflect and think about what, what they've done without getting into that very defensive position. As well, some, you mentioned a little bit back, I thought it was interesting, the events at, at Wishover and at Haymires as well. What did you do there? Um, so, so I suppose I, I turned up. I actually is 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 what I did. So that was a nice position to to be in. But um, with Hair Myers, it was a week long event. Um, there were stalls. There were conversations with staff where they were able to talk about stress in a, a very open, um, I suppose, and and supportive environment. Um, we had a range of lectures I, and talks with doctors and nurses. Um, and we had a couple of folk with lived experience who went along to tell people in the caring professions this is actually what it feels like um, and this is how stigmatising attitudes and discrimination stop me even coming to get the health care that I need, not just for my mental health but also for my physical health. And this is how these attitudes feed into the discrimination and the stigma that I have against myself and cause me not to reach my full potential. Um, so, that, so that was very, very powerful to actually have two folk who are very articulate, probably more articulate than I'm being today, in a room talking to healthcare professionals and saying, and, and this is how it feels. And I think that's, that's the, the area we get the best feedback on. And do you think that people with lived experience of mental health conditions sharing their stories, sharing their experiences, do you think that's a, a powerful way of changing the way people think and behave around mental health? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's really one of the most powerful ways because you have somebody in front of you who is well, so immediately you are busting the stigma myth that folk with mental health problems don't get well. Um, and you have them saying, this is what it was like for me. You know, when, when I heard those words or when I was treated in that way, this is how it felt and it felt really horrible. Please help me so those other folk don't feel like that. And I think that then gives professionals a real chance to reflect on how, how they've treated folk. Because often in busy clinics or busy emergency departments, you don't get that chance to, to reflect. Um, and there is not anybody in health and social care comes in to, to do a bad job or to make people feel uncomfortable or um, you know unincluded not included so therefore giving them the chance to reflect is, is a really helpful powerful thing to do. Brilliant and with the work that you've done have you been able to influence others or have you ever kind of felt that other people have very differing opinions on this that kind of your knowledge and experience of work from working with CME and also your professional first experience has been able to influence that or change the way people that you've worked with have thought and behaved. 
Yes, so um, we've got the Scottish Patient Safety Programme um, and mental health. Um, probably came into that later than, than some of the, the acute care settings, which is fine. It was always a phased, a phased programme. Um, I presented a couple of times locally about um, stigma and discrimination in mental health being a patient safety issue um, and tackling it from the point of view that actually if we stigmatise and discriminate, people don't come forward for either appropriate treatment and care for mental health conditions or physical health conditions. We know that there are a range of physical health conditions that are more likely in people with mental health problems, thinking specifically about the link between depression and diabetes and depression and heart disease. And I know I'm going full medical model now, but um, being able to talk about those to other um, clinicians um, and help them see how stigmatising against somebody with a mental health problem has a real impact on their health across the, the piece I think was, was very well received and very helpful and helped them conceptualise that in a medical model, clinical model type way which is not the sphere that I'm used to, to working in. Um, in psychiatry we're a bit more diverse than that um, but I think it was helpful to, to put it in that context to start the conversations off um, and we've certainly seen changes following that. Have you ever had any kind of feedback from them on that these things have made a difference or they're doing or they're changing things? Yeah, so so mostly the feedback has been from staff <coughs> excuse me. I saying that we didn't realise we had that impact on people. That is terrible. I can't believe that happened. Um, and and so and, and I suppose that's the first step in them changing their, their behaviour and getting them to reflect and just holding that mirror up. Um, which could be quite uncomfortable. You know, nobody likes to, to be challenged in, in that way. Um, so so there's, there's a lot of positive feedback from that and from that other groups of staff asking uh, you know, either to join committees or go along to talk to them as, as well. A big event that I mean, you were part of that we did was the Health and Social Care Ladies event where yep. it was very much trying to, we had speakers there with lived experience and what you were saying there about trying to kind of hold that mirror up and look at here's what it can be like and speaking to very high level professionals. Yeah. What was your role in that event and did you think that was important to get people for CME to get CMEs together and to talk to them as a whole about stigma and discrimination? Yeah, so the role in the event was part of the planning um, and being, I think I chaired a session too, too long ago for me to, to remember exactly. I think it was an excellent event and it was an excellent event because we had a number of senior leaders who felt comfortable enough to stand up and say, do you know what, um, there are folk within my family who have had mental health problems or I have had mental health problems myself and we are determined to make a difference here. Um, previously senior leaders talking even about mental health problems within their family beyond maybe a parent with dementia um, would just not have happened. So I, I think for that reason it was a groundbreaking event. So you have senior leaders from the top saying, actually it's okay to talk about these things. Definitely. And do you think that's something, so you said that's been a change, do you think it's an important one that people working within healthcare to also, in the right circumstances, be able to share their own personal experiences if they're comfortable with that to show that I guess they're people too and they have and these things impact them as much as as the kind of patients that they look after and that kind of 
recognising that we're all human. Do you think that's an important thing? I, I think it's an important thing. I think you have to be careful when you share because it has to be for the benefit of the person in front of you rather than for your, your own offloading or, or benefit. Um, but even acknowledging these things to yourself, I think, subtly changes the way that you work and interact with with people. Um, you know, within healthcare for and and still today, um, but for years there, there's been much shame associated with mental health problems um, and with mental health problems within a family, such that even healthcare professionals um, would would have shied away from talking about that at work in a way that they would not have shied away from talking about physical health conditions. So even even being able to talk that way amongst your peers, if not with your with your patients, um, then you know that can only be a, a good thing. I think we have to be careful um, because we never actually know exactly what our patients and the people we deliver services to are going through. We can have empathy and we can walk the walk with them as best best we can, but not many of them like to hear, I know what you're going through, um, because actually you don't unless you're in that position yourself. So I think careful sharing can be useful. Um, for me, the biggest, uh, the biggest improvement, if that's the right word, has been an admission by healthcare professionals that, yeah, we can suffer from mental health problems and often are more at risk than, than other sectors in the population. And that's okay to talk about, and it's also okay for our colleagues to give us help and support round about that and ask how we're doing. What do you think are the main issues around stigma and discrimination in health and social care? So the main issues for me um, are that it excludes people from getting the care that they, that they need, and that is the that for me is is the big is the big issue. Um, it is a barrier uh, to people getting appropriate health and social care. Um, it also feeds into a sense of worthlessness that people can can often have, um, and the irony that this is health and social care that is causing people to feel that way and having that negative impact uh, is is not lost on me. Um, so for me, as as a as a doctor, as a psychiatrist, it is the barrier we put up um, to people receiving appropriate health care and appropriate social care, um, which is just completely unacceptable. What do you think CMEs do, or do you think there's anything that CME is doing or CME's messaging that is really can help to resonate and make a difference to tackle the stigma discrimination So, So I think working with um, areas like Stigma Free Lanarkshire has been really helpful. We, um, as you know, are about to have a senior leader seminar within Lanarkshire and part of that is because health and social care is so vast. Um, that sometimes knowing the different people to go and talk to or where you can have maximum benefit or impact um, is, is difficult. So Stigma Free Lanarkshire team uh, amounts to three people. They, they cannot do it all. They, they should be seen as a specialist advisory resource along with the connections that they've made with CME. Um, and for me it's about how they can then influence and often getting the traction in health and social care is, is the area that's difficult, just because it is so huge and, and, and vast, and as you've correctly said, different in each area. You know, we've got 14 territorial health boards and the 30, 31 or 32 uh, integrated joint boards, um, and that's before you go out more more widely. Um, so, so I think it is a very difficult, not 
to crack um, using just one one messaging. So I think all the different strands uh, of work that CME is doing are really, really helpful. Um, and I'm very much hoping that our senior leaders event not only helps us in Lanarkshire, but helps inform CME about what what works, what doesn't work, how we might change things uh, going forward. Because I do almost see it as a pyramid cascade, so you would then be inviting the senior leaders um, to help change the culture within their various uh, areas within an organisation and cascading down from there with Stigma Free Lanarkshire and CME being there for advice, um, to help influence and, and all those kind of things. But uh, you know, if, I, if I could answer the question of, of how we solve stigma and discrimination uh, in health and social care, I would retire a very happy lady. So, Fortunately, I've got a few more years to go. So. Have you created the change or begun to start creating the change that you wanted to see when you first joined the advisory board with CME, when you back were sort of raising awareness and fundraising for them? Yeah, so, um, what would I say, um, we haven't moved as quickly as I would have liked, um, but then this is full-scale full population change in attitudes, so I was maybe being a bit optimistic I, as, as to how quickly it might happen. I think there are conversations happening um, across Lanarkshire, across Scotland now, that weren't happening um, at the time when I joined CME and, and before. Um, that mental health is more seen as everybody's business, um, that there is uh, you know, there are more people prepared to talk about their mental health and to listen um, when folk talk about mental health and are more comfortable about it. Do I think we've nailed it? Absolutely not. There's still a long, long way to go. Um, but again, I am very hopeful for the generations coming up, I coming up behind, because I think that's where we will see the... I suppose the change sticking, if, if you like. If we've got it right, um, then, you know, 20 years' time, we'll not need to be talking about mental health stigma and discrimination because it just won't be there. So, th so that's uh, that was, I guess, what I wanted when I started this. I I think I've only been involved for uh, probably over five years, but not, not as much as a decade. Um, and when you're talking about behaviour change of that magnitude, attitude change of that magnitude, it takes a while, but I think we are getting huge amounts of, of traction. Okay, so that was Linda, and thank you very much to Linda for speaking to us. So lots of really interesting points that she raises around stigma and discrimination within health and social care uh, and the sort of approaches that they've taken in Lanarkshire and also her, her time working with CME. Obviously, with, at CME, we've worked in quite a few, I guess, different areas in, in trying to tackle stigma and discrimination in the health and social care in, a, in one of the episodes we'll hear uh, from Kevin O'Neill as well who's worked in DBI, I've done a lot of work in that and I've also done a lot of work um, in realistic medicine as well which maybe probably most people Tom wouldn't have heard of I guess it's something that is a bit kind of could sound a little bit jargony but it's something yeah. that if you're kind of working within it you know what it is but it can be a real important way of ensuring that people are don't experience stigma discrimination within health and social care. So what is realistic medicine and how can it help? It's a really exciting concept uh, and, it, and it definitely will help. Realistic medicine is the idea that anyone providing healthcare in Scotland uh, will put patients at the centre of decisions made about their care. And there's a commitment that by 2025, all parts of the health and social care system, no matter what your setting or geography or role, will be taking 
a realistic medicine approach. It recognises that a one-size-fits-all approach to health and social care is not the most effective path for the patient or for the NHS. Um, and instead of asking the question, what's the matter with you? It starts with the question, what matters to you? It's a way of delivering more power into the hands of the patient and getting away from the doctor knows best culture. Because if out healthcare outcomes are going to be improved, if we are going to arrive at a place where patients and healthcare professionals are making the best possible decisions about a person's health, then it needs to be a collaborative effort. It needs to be a discussion. Um, and so part, a big part of this is asking questions. Is this test or treatment or procedure that the healthcare professional is suggesting really needed? Uh, what would happen if I, as the healthcare professional, did nothing? Because sometimes, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we've been talking about, the compassionate care, the recognition, the talking, it, it's enough just creating the space to have the conversation. Sometimes it's not. What are the possible side effects? Are there simpler solutions available? So instead of the sort of uh, parental relationship of this is the healthcare professional, they know what they're doing, I as the patient will just listen, it's much more of a shared power, collaborative effort of solving the problem of that person's health, of, of making sure that every effort is made to improve the person's health and getting away from, you're the, you're the decision maker, there's something wrong with me, you tell me how to fix it. Yeah, I think that's so important for, for anyone when getting support for something is that they feel like they're in control of it and that they've had a say in it and that they it's recognised that if it's happening to them and they're feeling it, that they will know quite a lot of what might be best for them to help that with the guidance of someone who has the kind of medical knowledge and expertise alongside that can be really impactful and something that, yeah, hopefully we'll see it making some really positive changes in the future as, as it continues to be rolled out and makes a difference. And I think that kind of brings us to the end of this episode really interesting one and uh, thanks very much to Tom for joining us nice to chat to you thanks Nick always a pleasure <laughs> and also Dee as always thanks thanks you old sea witch <laughs> <laughs> yes what better way to leave it Ursula out goodbye <laughs> bye bye